How can you convince people that you're telling the truth? That's one of the, the challenges that the candidates have in the general election right now. With so many conflicting claims from each other, from each of them, we're left wondering, how can they all be telling the truth? The evidence from the states suggests that they're not all telling the truth. As many of you know, they're in the middle of a campaign to decide on the next US president. It's a very long, drawn-out campaign if you've been following it. And because there are so many claims made in that campaign, a number of websites have been created to fact-check what candidates are saying. On these sites, you can find out whether what they're saying is true, mostly true, half-true, or, as they call it, a pants-on-fire lie. And it's shocking to see how many statements are actually in that latter category, that on checking what they're saying, they're just plain lying. So how can any one of the candidates convince us that they are trustworthy and what they are saying is true? Well, recent research by the Journal of Marketing Communications suggests an answer, but it only works for men because their suggestion is grow a beard. The study asked participants to look at pictures of men endorsing certain products and report on what they thought. And in this study, the participants thought that the men with beards had greater expertise and were significantly more trustworthy than those who were clean-shaven. There you go, Des. <laughs> and the researchers actually said that male politicians might want to consider not shaving because the presence of a beard on the face of candidates could boost their charisma, reliability, and ab above all, their expertise as perceived by voters with positive effects on voting intention. So we'll see that in our next, in the, the, the general election ahead of us, will we see if those with beards get voted in. The Pharisees and the Jewish teachers, they had a different idea. What they did, they favoured using elaborate oaths to convince people that they were speaking the truth. The problem was, though, that you had to listen really carefully to what they actually said in that oath, because only some of them were binding. Only some of them you could believe. But in this mess of truths, half-truths, and pants-and-fire lies, Jesus wants us, who are his followers, to be completely different. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 down to verse 37 this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up, or if you want to just listen, that's fine. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 down to verse 37. Again, these are the words of Jesus. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep your oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no 
No. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. We've seen, as we've seen before in this section in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts by referring to what these people would have heard before. What was generally understood? What was generally taught in that culture? So do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. They would have heard this kind of thing before. Now this isn't a direct quotation from any one command uh, from the Mosaic Law. However, it's a good summary of the law, of what the law commanded about keeping oaths. For example, Numbers 30, verse 2 said this, When a man makes a vow to the Lord, or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Then in Leviticus 19, verse 12, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So the law was clear. When people made solemn promises or vows to the Lord, or they declared something in the name of the Lord, calling upon God as their witness, then they were expected to keep that vow, to keep that promise. To make a promise and then to break it would make themselves guilty in in the sight of God. But the problem was that although the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were committed to keeping these laws, just as they were with all the other laws, They tried to limit its application and so make it easier to obey. They developed an elaborate system of rules for the taking of vows. They listed what formerly were permissible and then stated that only some of these vows, only some of these formula were actually binding. But others were not. Jesus spoke about this, for example, in in Matthew 23, verse 16 and verse 18. He said this, Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if someone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if someone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by that oath. Also, if someone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, He is bound by his oath. So this idea that some oaths were binding and some were not. And one of the ways they they, they explained this was that the law really only prohibited, they said, using the name of the Lord in a false way. It wasn't really challenging lying or or breaking your promise as, as such. And so they claimed that the law didn't force someone to keep their word, provided it didn't use the name of the Lord in a vow. So, if somebody made a vow by heaven, or by earth, or by Jerusalem, or by your head, that's not binding. They could use this escape clause. Because since God was not directly involved in that vow, well, that wasn't binding. And to break that, they weren't going against what the law said. 
But Jesus challenged head on this teaching. But I tell you, he said. Jesus called his followers to throw out this devious treatment of God's law. And instead, understand the true goal of these laws. To encourage a complete honesty and in complete integrity in every aspect of our lives. First of all, Jesus challenged the hypocrisy of saying that only some of the oaths were binding and others were not. He did this by showing that the Pharisees' distinction of these different vow formulae were completely misguided. He says, if someone swears by heaven, then contrary to what the Pharisees claim, that references God. Because God, because heaven is God's throne. If someone swore by earth, then that also involved God. Because earth is his footstool. Jesus was taking these two descriptions from Isaiah. Isaiah 66 verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. It was emphasizing that the Lord is, is reigning over this whole universe. So any reference to either heaven or earth in a vow can't claim to have nothing to do with God. In a similar way, if someone swore by Jerusalem, then it's the city of the great king. So it also involves God. Jerusalem is where God has placed his name. Jerusalem is where God has chosen to meet with his people. Jerusalem is, is God's city. So how could anybody claim to swear by Jerusalem and not to involve God at all in it? And then finally, if someone swore by your head, then that also referenced God because you can't even make one hair white or black. Even our own body doesn't really belong to us. We don't control what our bodies are really like. God determines that. Now, we can't try and cover up with hair dye. You can see Monica for that kind of thing. Or even hair extensions if it falls out. But eventually, if we live long enough and we have enough hair, it will turn white. No matter what we do. So no matter how hard you try, if we swear by anything in this world, you can't help but involve God in it. So the point of the law, the original meaning in the law, as Jesus is teaching, wasn't to teach that some oaths are binding and some are not. It was to teach that whatever they swore by, they were in effect swearing by God's name. And so all their oaths and all their vows were binding in their life. But Jesus went further than this in this passage. Not only were all oaths binding, Jesus said that all oaths are unnecessary. But I tell you, do not swear at all. We shouldn't swear or make oaths because for us, 
as God's people, as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't need to. If we recognize that God is present everywhere, that every word we say is spoken in the presence of our Heavenly Father, then whether we invoke His name or not, whether we make a vow or not, whether we make a, a special promise or not, we are speaking in God's presence. And we should always speak the truth. So Jesus said simply, let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Jesus called us to be people of absolute integrity. So we should never say something that we don't mean. Ever. We should never make promises that we can't or won't keep. We must refuse to exaggerate Embellish the truth. Speak half-truths or outright lies. We must do everything that we can to be authentic and resist the temptation to try to deceive others by giving the impression that we're something we're not. Whatever the circumstances, whoever we're talking to, we must always mean what we say and say what we mean. And so we shouldn't need to make an oath to convince somebody that we're speaking the truth. Jesus said that kind of thinking comes from the evil one. It's only needed because so many people tell lies. And Jesus said about the devil that he is a liar. And he's the father of lies. So James, writing, basing him, I think, on, on what Jesus said here in the Seven Mount, says this. James 5 and 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven, or by earth, or by anything else. Let your yes be yes, and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Of course, that comes with a cost, doesn't it? In this world, it's costly always to speak the truth. It's costly to refuse to tell a lie. Sometimes we could suffer for speaking the truth. Sometimes we could suffer for just refusing to go along with a lie that somebody else has told. We might lose out. We might be condemned. We might be misunderstood. We might be marginalized by people. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It means to walk in the truth. Why is that? Why is it so important that we as God's people speak the truth? Well, one of the reasons is because it's the loving thing to do. Remember we saw earlier that the the law could be summarized by love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. That's Jesus' summary of the whole of the law. And speaking the truth is an expression of love for the other person. I know that some days we can be tempted to think that it is more loving to tell someone a so-called white lie. 
You can spend today, if you want, looking to see if you can find white lie in the Bible, and you won't. You find the word lie, but never a white lie. So that telling a white lie is never a loving thing to do. A lie is always a lie. So Paul says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love and truth go hand in hand together. If we love someone, we will never say something to them that's not true. We will not make promises that we can't keep. Real love for others will guide us into being faithful in our speech. But I think we should also be committed to speaking the truth because it's the godly thing to do. Numbers 23 and 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Our God is the God of truth. The Bible says he cannot lie. He never breaks his promises. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. And so if we belong to God, if we are his children, then our lives need to reflect his character. We should be faithful, trustworthy, dependable, because that is what our Father is like. Listen to Psalm 15. Psalm 15 says this, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. I wonder are we committed to doing that? Keeping our word even when it hurts. Because that's what honours our God. Speaking the truth is also what the Holy Spirit will lead us to do. Jesus said in John chapter 16, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. And so it's incompatible to be the temple of the Holy Spirit and not to be committed to the truth. If we are being filled with the Holy Spirit, if we are being led by the Spirit, if we are keeping in step with the Spirit, then we will be committed to the truth. But speaking the truth is also the Christ-like thing to do. We follow the one who said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the ultimate revelation and standard of truth. And so if we are following him, then we need to be people who are absolutely and unswervingly committed to the truth. (coughs) Now, of course, as we're thinking about this, we recognize that we have never matched that standard. We've all of us have fallen short of that standard, haven't we? In the light of the holiness of Christ, we echo the words that Isaiah cried out, Woe to me, I am ruined! For I am a man of unclean lips, who 
live among a people of unclean lips. Naturally, we are not truthful. We are not men and women of 100% integrity and honesty. According to one report that I read, over 50% of Christians of Christians, had surveyed, admitted to lying within the past month. The problem with that statistic is I don't even know if I should believe the other 50% who claim that they didn't lie the previous month. Especially when, for example, another survey claims that people on average lie 217 times in January. January is supposed to be the worst month for lying. Don't know why. And another survey reported that over 50% of Christian young people believe that lying is sometimes necessary. We're not naturally honest. That's not where we come from to this. But if we have put our faith in Jesus, then we've been forgiven of all of our sin. We've been declared righteous in God's sight. And we are being transformed into the likeness of God's Son. And so now, as God's children, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to follow Jesus in being totally committed to the truth in every aspect of our lives. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, You were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. We are called to be men and women who are committed to the truth. In every circumstance. In our family. Yes, even telling the truth to our kids. At work. In our neighborhood, to the guards, whoever it is, whatever situation we're in, we are called to be people of integrity and honesty. But before we finish on this topic, I think there are two problems, two questions that come up in our minds when we read what Jesus said here. And I think it's important that we just address them. The first is that if swearing is prohibited, as Jesus does here, why has God used these kind of solemn promises in the Bible? For example, on Mount Moriah, just after Abraham demonstrated his commitment to God by being ready to sacrifice his own son Isaac, God said to him, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. That because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. If Jesus said swearing is so wrong, why does God do it here and in so many other parts of the Bible? Well, I think this is because God has a different purpose in making these oaths. God doesn't swear sometimes Because you can't trust what God says the other times. Remember, God cannot lie. Rather, he used an oath because people struggle with faith. These oaths were given to encourage them, who heard those them, to believe that God would do what he said. 
So when it comes to oaths, God is different from us. He doesn't use oaths because he has a tendency to be untrustworthy. He uses oaths because we have a tendency towards unbelief. So it's not to it's not to correct or to overcome God's dishonesty, it's to overcome our doubts. The second little problem that we have is what should we do when we're called to swear an oath? For example, if we're called to give evidence in a court, is it wrong to swear before God to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Some people have believed this, and they've refused to take a legal oath for any reason at all. Instead, they simply affirm that what they're going to say is the truth, and some legal systems accept this. They have different rules for those who refuse to swear. I don't know what you think about this. I'm not absolutely convinced that this is what Jesus is talking about here. After all, when Jesus was taken to court, the high priest said to him, this is Matthew chapter 26, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us that if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And in response, Jesus declared that he is the Son of God. That this is really who he was. And that they would see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. And then Paul, in his writings, he sometimes took an oath. For example, I call God as my witness that I was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth, he says in his letter to the Corinthians. And so, I don't see any problem with us taking this literally and refusing to take an oath on any situation. But maybe this isn't really Jesus. what Jesus is addressing here. I don't think his purpose is to stop us taking those legal oaths in a court of law. Rather, he was trying to encourage us that it wasn't necessary for us to do that. Because we should always be committed to speaking the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. For us as believers, there should be no difference when we, when we stand before a judge or we go into court or we are in a legal proceedings. Because we always tell the truth. I think that's what God was looking, what Jesus was pointing towards in this passage. So this is Jesus' answer to how people can know that we are telling the truth. Thankfully, we don't need to grow a beard for those of us who find it too itchy or those of us who can't. Neither do we need those elaborate or, uh, or, or impressive oaths. Instead, we just need to be committed to speaking the truth in love. Always. <coughs> not just some of the time. Not just when it's convenient. Not just when it wouldn't hurt somebody. But all the time being con- committed to speaking the truth. To be honest in every situation. No matter what the cost. Or the inconvenience. So I pray that as God's children, led by His Spirit and following His Son, we will commit ourselves to living a life of total integrity to the glory of God.